Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Salute. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingwell of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingwell of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We've made the classic mistake of wearing shorts for the day when we knew we were going to be on video. It's it's all you can do. It's a thousand degrees outside. It's very hot outside. It's nice and cool in here, though. This is a, one of those cinder block buildings that, you know, it, it'll be hot tonight in Feel, this building. It feels great for now. Yeah. yeah feels yeah, nice. It's nice. Uh, why are we on video today, Adam? Why am I here is a <laughs> is the main question that I've got. I apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> I suppose this is somehow my fault. Uh, <laughs> we've got some packages here. We thought we would try to do a uh, Code 47 while looking at each other during. Oh, yeah. And in a uh, brand new way. It's a it's it's very exciting in many ways. Finally, I'll get half the stuff. Yeah, that's actually great for me because it's starting to be kind of a problem in my house. Yeah, yeah. I walked in through your warehouse and yeah, I think a little thinning out could be good. Yeah. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain's eyes only. This first one we have here is from Rob M. in Falls Church, Virginia. Rob did the multiple postage stamps on a package move, which I love. Like I always do that because I don't measure for postage, and I just put on what feels like eight stamps. Like, this right. is an eight-stamp package. This will be enough. <laughs> right, yeah. And then if it comes back, it comes back. I tend to measure my postage from the base. Hmm, yeah. And the post office does not appreciate. Yeah, yeah. I'm not great at mailing things because it wasn't that long ago that I mailed my passport in for renewal and then didn't include the check to pay for the renewal. That was fun. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like something I would do, not something you would do. I, I get the honors here? Yeah. It's okay. Been, it's been so long since you've opened something from one of our, our wow. dear friends of DeSoto. All right, here goes. This looks potentially fragile. Let's start with the note here. Ben and Adam, we talked on the computer during your tour, and I said I would send some coins. My bad for taking so long. Your show has been a huge positive in my life, from commanding a squadron to being on staff in the Pentagon. You were absolutely hilarious. A coin from the joint staff for each of you. Thanks, gents. From Rob. (laughs) Wow, I am uh, really excited to open up this sack of coins see yeah. what we got here i'm just glad that rob is still on the joint staff and not leaking information on the discord server wow check these out uh, this is pentagon on one side positively pentagonal and a beautiful relief on the other dang we really do have friends in high places on this show i mean we've got cia we've got all kinds of intelligence people my friend matt used to work at the pentagon and he doesn't any longer but i wonder if uh, matt and rob ever knew each other maybe i mean it's a ate, small building maybe not a, that many people work there i know maybe you enjoyed a meal in the in the lunchroom uh, the one lunchroom that they have this is really beautiful thanks rob this rules this I, is like one of the coolest coins we've received i mean yeah i think everyone who has thought to send us a, a challenge coin our treasures to us, but wow. Yeah. 
I recently ordered off of Etsy a challenge coin display case because I realized I'd kind of come into enough challenge coins that I. I You're now sufficient. It was a sufficient amount for a case. It wouldn't be embarrassing to put like the number I had in a case. Uh huh. The case that I ordered not big enough for most of the challenge coins I have. Oh really? They're made for the littles. Yeah, it's made. It's like a. I got. I need. I have Magnum challenge coins. I need the big case. I wonder if you could go back in time and get like the Pog case, because these seem like these would be Pog size. See, these are smaller than a lot of the ones. Like I think ours are like two inches in diameter, which is bigger than average. But I can't eyeball a length like that. I don't know what that looks like. Yeah, it's a girth thing more Mm -hmm. than length. Mm -hmm. But yeah, thank you so much, Rob. These rule. Much appreciated. And thanks for everything you do at the Pentagon. That is a serious place to work. This next package here, Adam, is from HasLab, Josh Hazard in Monroe, Washington. Oh, I know the HasLab. The, the HasLab sent us Odo's Bucket. They did, yeah. A couple years ago. I think we've talked about the fact that I spent a lot of time making a documentary in Monroe, Washington. Yeah. Way the hell out there. <laughs> it really is. All right. Ben, Adam, hello. I'm Chief Hazard. You may remember me from such Code 47s as The Greatest Trek's USS Discovery Popcorn Box and The Odo Bucket of Oatmeal. I make props and I enjoy watching your show so much that I went and did it again. All of it. Each and every embarrassing episode. (laughs) Oh no. As luck would have it, I happened to be listening to the Sub Rosa episode the first time I heard an ad for one of your ghost fucker candles at podshop.biz. Podshop.biz? And I thought to myself... These guys need themselves a ghost fucker candle. So I've gone and made you your very own screen accurate ghost fucker candle with remote LED candle so you can turn it on from anywhere. On stage, in the bedroom, or even in the bath. Gotta have those Naked Now episodes. (laughs) How about that? So Chief Hazard is on the other side of that issue from you. Yeah. Well, I'm not changing my position. Oh, well, because it would splash around and, and mics would pick it up, right? Precisely, yeah. I really love hearing you all say Ghostfucker Candle. I think we could get a Samuel Clemens and Benjoran tablet to talk about this fantastic new product. Stay a little bit embarrassed, Chief. Mm. It sounds like the Chief sent us something great for our next touring tableau. Indeed. P.S. While only one of you can keep this LED Ghostfucker Candle in your home, the other can have this small blue bag I've also enclosed. It is not glitter. Dishonor to the house of glitter. It is instead instant cosplay. Well, I'm a recurring character, but the ghost fucker candle deserves that honor even more than me. All right. Oh, oh wow, there is a remote control as promised. Sure is, yeah. Total professional over there. Oh man. It really looks like it's screen accurate. Yeah, I think it's 3D printed and then painted. It looks like an old piece of iron. It really looks great. Yeah, but like it's a light enough material that you could like hit somebody in a in a stunt on camera, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. Man, this is great. Thank you, Chief Hazard. This is definitely going on stage at our next live show. Yeah. If we can find a way to set, safely travel with it. What's this blue bag? It's instant cosplay? Let's find out what Adam's taking home. Oh, cool! Wow, nicely done. What's in the blue bag, for those listening at home, is the mobile emitter prop, recreated lovingly by HasLab. 
That looks great. Oh, man. And a central item to today's episode. Yeah, I could just whack you with an iPad and turn you off, couldn't I? How about that? Oh, <laughs> I'm already turned off, Ben. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Wow. Well, thank you so much, HasLab. This rules. Very, very exciting stuff. Here. We're going to put the ghost fucker candle in a place of honor. Got to put the challenge coin there, too. Oh, so that's uh, what you've picked up there. I think our two-parter mm-hmm. uh, package. This, these are from our buddy John Green, yeah. the designer of Podshop.biz's own Trunks Trunks. Oh, wow. Should I open one before the other? I don't know if there's an order to this. Um, All right. I think, Let's go with the card first, then. Yeah, I think uh, John Green mentioned that they were going to be sending some other stuff as well. All right. Oh, boy. This looks like uh, the original Trunks art, Ben. Oh, man, cool. I'm going to get it out of this bag. How did we manage to get two, like, SpawnCon moments for things in Podshop.biz out of this Code 47? So check that out. Dang. It's beautiful. So it's the car that swerved around the trunk of an elephant, slammed into a tree trunk. And the trunk of the car opened, and there's a steamer trunk inside. This looks like it might have been the initial sketch, the uh, the concept sketch. Oh, man. This is great. Oh, yeah, and here's, like, details for... Oh, because there's the pattern, right? There's yeah. the one that's on the red background as well, where it's just the different items kind of broken out as floating objects. Man, get yourself some trunks trunks and get it, get your hands on this beautiful artwork. Very cool. Thanks, John Green. Yeah, this rules. Oh, and I guess we have uh, another box. We do. This one's heavy. Maybe it's got some gold trunks trunks in it or something. John drew a pretty uh, screen accurate Ensign Mariner on the box there with the USS Cerritos flying past. Oh yeah. Pretty cool. Gotta save the box. (laughs) Yeah, this box is- Cut out that cartoon. Oh man. We got stuffed characters of John Green's uh, investigators. Wow. Are there squeakers inside? Oh. Oh, look, they're like, they're reversible. It's one character on one side and another character on the other side. Oh, this is great. <laughs> oh, man. That? Yeah, John Green makes these books called The Investigators, and these are the two main characters in those books. Oh, look, here's why the, bu- the package was heavy. Books included. As I understand, there are some greatest gen Easter eggs hidden in some of these books. So uh, this is really great. Daron is going to be is going to grow up an investigator's kid. Those Ben are actually for me. Oh really? So yeah, I mean maybe we can get Daron some books at some point. Well, I already have some that that uh, John Green sent over here on my bookcase. So uh, you can have these ones, and Daron can keep those. All right. Great. Yeah. Or you can have those, and I, and Daron can keep these. It doesn't matter to me. I don't. I honestly don't think Daron will miss them if I took them all. So maybe I'll just do that. Wow, it's a huge slam on John Green, our <laughs> listener that was nice enough to design a product for us and send us this really thoughtful box. I appreciate it so bad. I want this whole stack of books. <laughs> all right, <laughs> it's yours. <laughs> 
my dog won't go anywhere near this stuffy because it has no squeaker inside. Yeah. That was a good job by John Green not designing it with that in mind. We've entered a new era where Darwin doesn't automatically assume something that has a squeaker in it is for him. It's real weird. I didn't know that was possible. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Last... Hey, thanks, John Green. Thank you, John Green. And thanks to everybody that sent something in. This is our last package here today, Adam. Uh, this one's from Dave Ellis of Ellis Studios. I usually don't say people's last names unless their last name is the first word in their business. That makes sense. Out of Sanford, North Carolina. Dave also put our names in a cool Star Trek font on the uh, address label, which I really appreciated. That's why a couple of months ago you mentioned John Light as one of the words in the business that sent you a package, right? Mm, yeah. Hi, Ben, Adam, Bill, and Wendy. Once again, thank you so much, not trying to sound like Will Wheaton here, <laughs> for taking the time to record some lines for my Star Trek fan film, 359. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It might not be official Star Trek, but I take some pride in the fact that I was able to go where no Big Rod production has ever gone before, fulfilling your wish of being unceremoniously blown out an airlock in the Battle of Wolf 359, no less. And within the first minute of the film... I was also really happy that Wendy and Bill agreed to be part of the action as well, and it was my pleasure to put them in command of their own starships, even if said ships were doomed from the get-go. I was a film and TV major back in the olden days, but I never managed to make a career of it. Closest I got was becoming a video game writer and designer, including writing the script for Star Trek colon Klingon Honor Guard. I sent you a copy of the game a while back. I remember that. Uh, I also remember that, yeah. I think uh, we never figured out a way to uh, yeah. load it up because we didn't have an old PC, but uh, I still want to. The letter goes on to say, This was the first time I've made a film since the late 80s, and hence the first time I made one that wasn't shot on 8mm sound or VHS. So I was a bit rusty. Technology's way better now. I had forgotten how much I love filmmaking. I had a blast making it, and I hope you all had some fun in the process as well. And I hope you enjoy the film. As a thanks, I've enclosed a DVD copy of 359, plus outtakes and other special features for all four of you. Make sure Bill and Wendy get their copies, and make sure you take note of the credits on the back cover. Happy to have put you one step closer to your on-screen Star Trek dream. And let all the FODs know that they can watch 359 and revel in your untimely demise at ellisstudios359.com. That's E-L-L-I-S-S-T-U-D-I-O-S, 359.com. Live long and prosper and kapla, Dave Ellis. P.S. I hope you were, or are if you're reading this before March 26th, able to make it to the online premiere. Sorry we missed it. I had a family obligation. Adam has no excuse. I was there. PPS. I was there, so was Wendy, and so was Bill. Oh. So it would appear everyone besides you was able to attend. PPS, not that you asked, but I did find myself a drunk Shimoda. Shimode, actually. They're the two engineers who, during the intense battle that would ultimately result in the deaths of 15,000 people, broadcast their failed attempt to repair a plasma conduit to the entire fleet on an open channel right up to the moment that they got blown out an airlock. Hmm. Well, that's a great looking DVD box art there. Yeah. Dave, I'm so psyched that we got to be a part of this and uh, I can't wait to watch. And uh, we'll be sending the other copies to Bill and Wendy. Yeah. This rules. Yeah, very cool. Bill Thank Tilly, you so much. Bill Tilly and Wendy Pretty got... Oh, we're, we're both on, on the credits on the back. That's great. 
and they've got the like legally required Star Trek and all related marks, yada yada yada, legal boilerplate. Gotta do that. That makes it feel really official. Yeah, feels real. <laughs> when you're avoiding litigation, nothing can feel more real than that. Yeah, I love it. I can't wait to watch. Um, thanks to everyone who sent something in, and thanks to everyone who watched here on YouTube today. If you are listening to this and would like to have seen the things as we opened them, you can do that at youtube.com slash greatest trek because uh, we are putting these code 47s on YouTube now. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get into the episode. What do you say? Oh, yeah. Big one today, Ben. Yeah. It's Star Trek Voyager season six, episode one, Equinox part two. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. So where we last left her, Janeway was under attack by a skinny Slimer. That's great, Ray. Save some for me. Janeway was in a bad way. It looked like she was done for. But uh, when we come back from summer break, it's in fact Chakotay that's the one that's uh, getting got. I really wonder how much time they had to strategize what would occur during the second half. Because this is... Uh, famously, the first season of Star Trek Voyager where Ronald D. Moore came aboard. Oh. And he had some ideas. And I just wonder, because this is the only Star Trek series to exist right now at this time, there's right. no overlap with any other show. I wonder if, if that kind of attention from creators can go both ways, right? Like, right. a lot of creative minds at work here. A lot of people justifying their salaries. Yeah. And uh, and if you look, I think if you're just looking at the whiteboard of character names and you see Chakotay, you're like, maybe it's time. <laughs> maybe it's time to freshen that guy up. Yeah. I'm concerned. I was thinking about how many different ways the Voyager makeup department has come up with over the years to make somebody's face look fucked up. Yeah. And uh, this was a whole new way. It's kind of like uh, half desiccated, I yeah. guess. Yeah. He looks pretty unhappy. He's rolling around <laughs> on the floor of the bridge. Janeway got a little a little dusting of desiccation. It's going to hurt Chakotay to shave so bad. <laughs> like, ouch. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. Janeway gets the shields back up by booping some buttons and doing something to deflect her. But it buys them a moment. And Harry Kim reports, two people are dead. They've got engines that are out of commission after this Slimer attack. This is not good. I mean, Voyager can't afford to lose crew people, right? This is a scene of really great accounting because we get the information about the dead and the wounded. And then we cut right over on the heels of that to Ransom on the bridge of the Equinox. And he knows he's left Voyager defenseless. Yeah. And when he gives the order to go ahead and light on out of there, right on the heels of the dead and the wounded off of Voyager, just makes him look as bad as possible. It's an interesting moment because I think John Savage really played that for nuance. Like he is giving Ransom a little pang of something when he hears that Voyager is really fucked up. But, you know, he's too far into this at this point. Like, he can't like stop everything he's doing now. It would it would be unmotivated and you know against character. So at this point, you started to develop some real empathy for the the Captain Ransom character. 
Yeah. I was like, oh, but it's, you know, it's not his fault that he did a bad thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> he just doubles down and yeah. doubles down again. Yeah. So meanwhile, the evil MH is succeeding at tricking everybody that he is, in fact, just good old Doc Hollow Day. He's over on the Voyager, like, patching people up and stuff. Yeah, he seems to have integrated himself into the crew a little better than the last time we saw him, which was awkwardly and maybe on the verge of outing himself. Right. Could you be more specific? The, like, oh, yeah, like, I found his mobile emitter in the in the hallway and, like, let's turn him back on and not suspect anything was, like, it, that was fun. I, I think that that's, like, maybe the funnest sub story of this whole two-parter is the like we don't know that the doctor is actually bad yeah i like not seeing what he's doing at all times to to keep that sense going because if they'd like turned on the mobile emitter and andy dick had popped out they'd be like they would know instantly this person is bad this is a bad person that has done bad things one of the details i really like about this six bay tableau is like they're pulling sheets over heads of a lot of people like Sheets on heads and bio beds, like yeah. all the, all around. But there are survivors made to lay on the floor without sheets on their heads. And I just want to say, if if I had sustained an injury during this firefight and I was made to be on the ground while a fucking dead body was given a bed, <laughs> I'd be pretty upset by that. Like as soon as a sheet was pulled over a head, I would want to switch spots. Like yeah. get that body out of there. You're like. Derek is getting a bed. He's not even alive. Yeah. And he was an asshole when he was alive. Yeah. You got me down here <laughs> underneath. So would this be the moment that you start suspecting that something is amiss with the EMH? Do you think this is evidence? That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. The, the real EMH would never do this. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's like prickly, but he's not cruel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he doesn't have an ethical subroutine. Yeah. I didn't like that. Yeah. So Chakotay has been diagnosed with Freddy Krueger face, but he's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't have Freddy Krueger hat or hand. No, you know that that's very promising. You know, (laughs) he and Janeway have a disagreement here, the first of many throughout this episode about just who the enemy is, because Chakotay is like, "Yeah, we got to figure out what the deal is with these uh, skinny slimers," and Janeway's like. I don't care. <laughs> the Equinox is our enemy now. Yeah. Janeway is fired the fuck up about the Equinox. Yeah. And they are not seeing eye to eye on this. Over on the Equinox, Seven has interrupted beach time with Captain Ransom, which is just, you know, he's under a lot of stress. So it's really therapeutic for him to go back to his fucked out quarters, <laughs> sit in his comfy chair put on his, his little hollow display and look at a beach. Captain Pranica would have that hollow display thing on the desk, but would be like, I've got too many things to do. I can't indulge in a video game right now. No. And you'd be like, uh, I don't know. I'd be angrily cleaning my quarters yeah. of you'd all be the girders. Throwing inside. girders out yeah. into the hallway. <laughs> I could do, yeah, I could, I could have no comforts before cleanliness. <laughs> Yeah, in that way, Captain Ransom and I are a lot alike. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it could have been a terrible time to interrupt him. Knock on my door! Knock next time! Yes, sir! But as it is, he had just begun the beach scene. He he takes it off, and Seven is offered a choice. Yeah. Brig 
pipe or crew. And she chooses Brig because fuck you. That's why. (laughs) I like her description of him being a bad role model in reconnecting with her own humanity. There did seem to be sort of a horny overtone to this scene. You're talking about the back of the hand touching? Yeah. I believe that's a caress, right? When it's back of the hand, it's caress. Yeah. I don't think you can caress someone with the front, right? Oh, I can caress with the front of the hand. Really? Yeah. Wow. I wouldn't even try. No, uh, my wife loves it. Okay. (laughs) You caress with the front of both hands? Uh Uh-huh. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's great. When John Travolta does that to his kid's face and face off, (laughs) is that a caress? Yeah, I think that's a caress. Ah. Yeah. I'd prefer the break. But in Face Off, I'm pretty sure that that's just something that John Travolta does because he always thinks his kid has died and their eyes are still open. Yeah. You want to shut those eyes immediately. Yeah. Because the haunting thing isn't your dead child. It's their dead, open eyes. Following around the room. Yeah. Don't like that at all. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like this moment. And it made me think a lot throughout the episode about like, This is an example of an idea not fully realized, not fully committed to. Yeah, yeah. Because if, I don't know how satisfying it is to have Seven be in his imagination as just whatever she is. I really thought that there was going to be some kind of technical explanation for that too. Yeah, it just seems to be a stressed out person uh, imagining things in their de-stressing program. Yeah. Well, anyways, she rejects the opportunity to be a willing member of the crime that the Equinox is committing. She basically just flipping shit to everybody left and right, roasting Bosch for not being good at jokes, uh, you know, happily heading down to the brig, which like is running like the force fields in the brig really their top priority on the Equinox. Yeah, it seems like a terrible use of power. Yeah. Anyways, they're going to have plenty of time to figure things like this out because their super warp drive does not work because uh, Seven threw some wooden shoes into the power relays. Hence the word sabotage. Do you think the main problem with Burke's sense of humor is that he has Titus Welliver face? Or (laughs) is it just that his jokes aren't landing? Because when he got that face, he does not have the face for comedy. He doesn't have... Doing bits face. Yeah. He's never doing bits. No. (laughs) But he does that throughout these two episodes. Like he's doing bits with BLT. He's doing bits with Seven. It's never hitting. It never hits. Yeah. Bosch does not do bits. No? Yeah. That's not a funny character on a funny show? Bosch isn't, uh, not a fun loving guy. Yeah. He's more of a, uh, I told you when we got together, baby, that you were going to have to share me. With all the bad people and all the ugly events on this planet. That's kind of his vibe. Our course is locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Burke and Ransom notice that there's a hollow doctor in their computer. And when that doctor is activated, we realize that the switcheroo is still in progress. Because I have to admit, in that earlier scene in Six Bay, I thought maybe things had been switched back and things were fine. Right. And if I had been made to wait for the months of an off season that actually occurred during the year of of this show, I might have forgotten completely. Yeah, there is a little last time on and they say the thing about the ethical subroutines. Mm -hmm. 
but I don't think that they perfectly established that evil MH is yeah. aboard the Voyager and Doc Holliday is aboard the Equinox. I mean, in pretty short order, Doc Holliday is also evil MH because they're like, hey, get the, you know, Seven knows the the codes for unlocking our warp engines. We need her to, to tell them to us, open her brain up and and like crowbar that information out. Yeah. And he's like, I won't do it. And they like press one button and he's like, I will happily do it. <laughs> All of the instructions for how to do a kern on someone are made available to the doctor at that point. Right. Yeah. They, they turn off the ethical subroutines and turn on the Julian Bashir routines. Yeah. Doctor, please. Over on the Equinox Bridge, they're ready to go to Genocide Drive. <laughs> Which made me think a lot about uh, whatever happened to the bodies of the Hoosnock once. I mean, did Kevin just snap his fingers and erase them? What a waste. There's so many Hoosnock to run propulsion systems off of. And this is why <laughs> I could never leave Delta Runner. <laughs> I didn't have the fuel. You complain about peak oil and the energy crisis? Look at me. <laughs> I can't run a ship on tea. I got rid of all energy everywhere. It's a shame. That's what left him marooned. Voy- and that's what he has regrets about, I bet. So Voyager does a flyby of the camera, and it's looking really singed. Like, this attack by the fissure-opening Slimers has uh, has done some real cosmetic damage to the outside of the ship, too. They're working really hard on an attempt to communicate with these guys. And so we got I mean, the, one of them is. Yeah. Chicote has been has been doing his best to establish comms, to make proper first contact, as we refer to it. The tension of this scene is so interesting because like they're going to establish communications and Chicote, having just had his face almost blown off by them, is like, Diplomacy, that's what we should be doing. And Janeway's like <laughs> phasers out (laughs) you would think that their feelings would be the opposite here it's a tricky moment because you see chakotay's logic right like we're gonna have to like open our kimono a little bit show a little bit of trust in order to get some trust hang some bindle (laughs) uh, janeway is not down to hang bindle she almost thinks of this as a huge fucking waste of time but uh one of these slimers comes out of its hole goes up and like looks Harry Kim in the eye and then goes back into its hole. So it sort of seems like a moderate success. I mean, this scene is unfortunate because that skinny Slimer goes back pregnant. Right. And I mean, you just get that close on the hook. You just get that close to Harry and something like that is bound to happen. Yeah. But then they find out that it's actually Chakotay's kid. This always happens. (laughs) And Chakotay's like, how did this like, it went over to Harry. This doesn't make sense. And Harry's like, ain't I a stinker? Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. No one knows what this means until the bangers drop, right? The skinny Slimer rolls in, rolls out, and then there's a beat. And then bangers start dropping. 
doesn't seem like whatever they attempted here worked. No, but what does work is the same thing that Janeway did at the beginning of the episode to shore up the shields one more time. And with another moment of reprieve, Chakotay follows her into her ready room and really tries to first officer the hell out of this situation. Beware thyself, my captain. Nothing works here. No. Not the warm vegetable broth. (laughs) Not a mug of coffee. Not a freshly made bathtub. Nothing. Nothing is going to unwind this knot that is Catherine Janeway. She just comes right back up over the top. She's like, I know all of the things you're going to suggest. I'm not into them right now. Like, she's like openly like, I do want to punish this guy. Like, I am singularly focused on making Ransom suffer for what he's done. You're right. I am angry. I'm damned angry. She, She's like... I told you my problem so you could listen to them, not suggest <laughs> solutions, Chicote. And he's like, I'm not your boyfriend yet. I'm your first officer. And she's like, what do you mean by yet? What's scary about the way Janeway talks about this is that she's making her mission their mission. Yeah. Like she's talking in the personal, but in ways that are understood to be for everyone. Totally. And it makes you wonder if we're going to get a Crimson Tide style scene here between them, because when Chakotay just sort of walks out saying nothing, kind of feels like that's where we're heading. Chakotay is real fucking bent out of shape about this. And it's such an interesting scene to me, because I think that the other times they've had really big conflicts like this, it hasn't been Janeway Ahabbing in this way. Yeah. But she's she's Ahabbing pretty hard in this episode. Doesn't it feel out of character? I'm going to hunt him down no matter how long it takes. No matter what the cost. What say I thought we might have been buckled into an episode where by the end of it, none of this happens. Like, maybe after a year of hell, this is two weeks of hell. <laughs> and we undo it because we've experienced a Janeway with a singular focus to get shit done before. Right. And we've experienced her, you know, year of hell being an example of that, where she will stop at nothing to succeed. Right. Up to and including the destruction of her ship and the death of her crew. But it feels different here. It does. I liked that it felt different, honestly. Like, I liked that this felt like a real conflict that was pretty well motivated by both characters and easy to see why they both felt so strongly the way they did. Like neither one Janeway is a having and is being unreasonable, but like you totally get where she's coming from. Yeah. So we cut to the orbit of a planet where the equinox has pulled in and they say that the uh, atmosphere of this planet will shield them from sensors while they fix shit up. This is exactly where they need to go to get their super warp engine back online. Start shoveling slimers into into it like coal into a hopper. Yeah. <laughs> when they're above this planet, I had a very different idea in mind of what it would be like when they beamed an away team down. Uh-huh. Like, because the idea is, oh yeah, this planet also is rich with ore deposits. Go down there and start mining. And I'm like, oh shit, this is a bad task to be <laughs> to be delegated. And then when we cut down there with the two crew people, they're like, Having a fun little walkabout. Yeah. On a beautiful summer day. Starfleet's looking for ore deposits never really give 
prospector energy, you know, like I want them in overalls. I want one of them to have like a hat with a real chewed up brim and like a little bit of hay in the corner of his mouth and like a, a sluice pan. Starfleet overalls sound great. Yeah. That sounds like a great idea. Why is this not a thing? That should be what engineers wear. Gersha Phillips, get at us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in Six Bay, the evil doc gets to work on Seven's brains. And when Ransom comes in to ask for an update, the evil doctor describes the brain damage that she's about to receive during the procedure. And Ransom practically begs Seven for the codes at this point. He, I won't say he doesn't want this to happen. He would prefer if it didn't. Right. Because when she denies him yet again, and she says she'd rather die than give them up, He's like, okay, Doc, uh, back to work. Yeah. This is a rough scene. It's interesting because like everything Ransom is doing is what you would do if you were like psychologically torturing someone, you know, like if you're trying to make them think that they can avoid the pain by just giving you the information, you would do exactly what he does in this scene. Yeah. I think John Savage is playing it as Ransom is sincerely hoping that she will give up the codes and they won't have to torture her or kill her or brain damage her. Do you think this is easy for me? The sight of you on that table. I thought about this in a bunch of different ways because this isn't the first scene where Ransom comes in to check up on them and he's like, okay, keep going. Yeah. And to me, this is the point of no return for Ransom. I don't believe he's... He's not supposed to be redeemable up until this moment, but for storytelling purposes, as soon as one of your main characters is threatened in this way, like that's when it ends. Right. I could not feel anything for Ransom after this and would prefer he to be dead. Like (laughs) there were scenes later on when he's kind of sent out like a boss that I did not agree with. And the reason for that was someone is being tortured on his ship and it's, and torture feels different than murder. Definitely. But murder, also bad, just for Let's, the record. I, I should probably make that clear. Hey, if you're out there and thinking about murdering, just know that Adam and I would be very disappointed in you if you did that. Thou shalt not kill. I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you an order. Is that understood? I'm giving you an order. I'm giving you, and you have just crossed the line. On Voyager in Janeway's ready room, they still can't find the Equinox. And Janeway's been reviewing a recommendation that Chakotay gave her in writing. I thought it was really interesting that it was written down as if Chakotay was trying to establish a paper trail <laughs> for a relieving of duty he knew they were up against Yeah, at some future point. Yeah, and also like a, I feel like every time we argue, I like get out of control and I can't collect my thoughts. So I wrote this down as a letter in the hopes that I could persuade you in that way. Dear Catherine, (laughs) these are the ways that you make me feel. (laughs) (laughs) The suggestion that he wrote down is, Hey, why don't we uh, throw this thing in reverse? Go back and visit the Ankari. Like the Ankari know all about these skinny slimers. They basically worship them, and they have a device for summoning them. Yeah. They've got to know what's going on here. 
like the difference between having been invaded by space slimers because your shields are down versus lighting the slimer candle and conjuring them <laughs> in a pseudo religious ceremony, it feels like a better way to do first contact in the way that they're going for. They're sort of slimer fuckers, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. <laughs> but Janeway holds fast to this revenge as their mission idea. Yeah, she does not want to participate in this not killing ransom project that Chakotay is suggesting. His ship can only go warp six, so he can't be that far away. I like that factoid here, too, because at any point, you know, Voyager can overtake them. Yeah, they said it went warp eight in the last episode, and I wonder if it can only go warp six because of the damage or because of the modifications or what. I think only when you've got the shake slimer, Mm -hmm. like just the powdery residue, you can only get up to warp eight. You can't really really go into hyper warp. Turn and burn the way you want to. Uh Janeway's like, I know Ransom. Has he done any crazy Ivans yet? Because the next one will be to starboard. (laughs) Make like a hole in the water. A pattern is established here. Ransom likes to hide. Yeah. (laughs) But it's it's a fucking stupid bit of intelligence because oh he likes to hide does he well we only have all of these planets and nebulars to search (laughs) (laughs) what exactly is the sort of intelligence that gives them doesn't seem super useful i mean i guess he's like headed in a general direction also so there's coffee in the kind of place you'd hide if your ship was damaged yes ma'am we cut back over to the equinox and Ransom is uh, back at it with his neuro neural stimulator gadget. He sees the figure of seven on this beach. Unmistakable, right? Yeah, there's no other blonde lady that this could possibly be, even though I don't think we see her face in this one. Right. No, not here. But what's unusual for Ransom is that people aren't supposed to be in these devices. These are like... Uh, these are real low-rent holodeck Kind of situation. Yeah, this is not for sex. This is for masturbation. (laughs) So down on the planet, the away team from the Equinox gets jumped by a Voyager away team. I love this. Yeah. I love what a surprise it was. Yeah. And I love that like they find out that their away team might get jumped later, you know? Because like the evil MH on Voyager calls the Equinox up and it's like, they sent an away team down to the planet. Like, they're on to you. Like, they, they know what's up. And it's it's already too late. Their guys have been got. I like the repetition with which Chakotay is made to go along with something he doesn't agree with. Like, that Chakotay is on the mission to get these guys. That Chakotay stands by for the interrogation later. Like, this is personally affecting for him in yeah. some very interesting ways. It really is. So Ransom orders the Equinox crew to battle stations, which I was like, really? Come on. Yeah. You guys are outgunned. Yeah. Voyager can outrun you and outgun you. Don't go to battle stations. That's dumb. But they have an ace up their sleeve, and that is the evil doctor over on Voyager who's yeah. able to send them information. And Bosch being like the stone cold like hacker that he is. Like, they're both shooting everything they have at Voyager and also trying to go around the back door and, like, drop shields and do all this stuff to compromise the way Voyager works. This is straight out of the Riker as captain of the Hathaway playbook, right? Like, 
You're outgunned by another Federation starship. What do you got? You got Guile. Yeah. And Gall. Mm-hmm. Gall and Guile. And girls. Hell yeah. yeah. High five. <laughs> Ransom opens up his uh, captain's cooler and just uh, throws the brewskis around. Yeah. The Equinox, like the Defiant, has a captain's thermos, but yeah. this one's full of beer. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they go weapons hot on the Equinox and Voyager returns fire. This is really happening. Yeah. But meanwhile, BLT and Maxwell Burke have kind of a secret FaceTime together. Like, she tries to guidance counselor him in a way that feels, I don't know, like, if this scene doesn't exist in this episode, I think you're fine. It might be addition by subtraction to cut it, actually, because it does also bump up against the, like, you officially became a terrorist, BLT. There is, like, a court of law argument that he is bad because he's following bad orders and believes in them. Yeah. But... They're not his orders. Like, I know that in the military, you have to, like, not follow orders that are crimes. Mm -hmm. But that's also not quite the same thing as, like, I renounced my oath and went to fight for the bad guys, you know? I mean, I think that's why BLT takes the approach that she does. She kind of makes it a personal thing between them. Yeah. Instead of a professional thing. Smart of her to do that. Um, Tom is like... Balana, why are you talking to him again? He gets super jealous and like, it's this whole fucking thing. Paris is basically nowhere to be found this episode, unfortunately. He doesn't get a lot to do. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he does a little bit of like medical staff stuff mm-hmm. at one point. Ransom has a great fucking idea here. He knows that he has the special device wherein if the Equinox's shields drop and the skinny Slimers come in, they can capture them, capture right. and kill. But the Voyager does not have that same ability. And so by taking the Equinox into the atmosphere, a place that will have a destructive effect on both of their ship's shields, he sort of cooks himself in a way that outlasts the Voyager and Voyager has to bug out. Yeah, they break off the attack. And Janeway is disappointed, but she's like, well, at least we got prisoners. And this is maybe the darkest turn we've seen Janeway take as a character. We all make our own hell, Mr. Lessing. I hope you enjoy yours. You don't like to see a crew person, especially a black crew person, shackled. Yeah. On a Federation starship. It does not look good. Bad optics and just a bad look for Janeway overall. It really gives the she's becoming what she said out to destroy energy here because she is so single-minded on stopping ransom and punishing him that she will take one of his low level people and potentially murder them so that she can get his tactical status. Like that's the information she's trying to get. It's not even like the code that would solve the bomb or, you know, turn off the shields or whatever. It's like, it's general information about his tactical status. This may be a nitpick, Ben, but (laughs) you will remember that Janeway is like, it's not murder. I'm just going to leave the room and skinny Slimers will do the rest. And Chakotay is like, 
skinny slimers don't kill people, people kill people, Janeway. I love how this scene is blocked because when Janeway levels her threat and then leaves to go do some computing outside, Chakotay's got to follow. And Chakotay fights this. He does not agree. Damn it, Catherine! You're panicking. He's going to talk. He is not able to intercede. Like, the computer won't listen to him. The only way he can intercede is by going back into the room when the fissure opens and closing it with a hand phaser. But this was a moment to me where I kind of, like, I understand Chakotay's initial strategy of, like, I gotta shoot the the skinny slimers to save this guy. But if Chakotay gave himself up, I think that would have snapped Janeway out of this, out of whatever angry fugue state she's in. Like, if Chakotay would be like, I'm staying in there too, and also here's my fucking dustbuster, what are you going to do now? That Chakotay does not put his life on the line either. I mean, who the fuck is Lessig? Like, like <laughs> he's probably not the right guy to die for, but I really wanted a scene like that. Right. And this is what my problem was later on when Chakotay is just relieved of duty and goes away and doesn't fight. I wanted more fight out of Chakotay. And I think putting himself on the line here would have done it. It would have. It changes the rest of the episode pretty substantially. Yeah. But that moment But I mean, of- if Chakotay, let's note this though. Like if Chakotay does my punch up yeah. and then he's relieved of duty at that point, I think the rest of the episode still works. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think you get him relieved of duty at that point because the scales would have already fallen from Janeway's eyes. Right. And this would be mostly just an operation where everybody was like cleaning all the scales up off of the floor. Yeah. And you know whose job that is? Neelix. Neelix. He's going to make some fucking stew out of those scales. I've got to get that platinum. Get that roll metal argument. I've got to get that platinum. Are you planning a heist? Gold. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. 
And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. So this scene is really intense because Chakotay like grabs Lessing and like pulls him out into the hallway and he says like okay like you know we're fucking serious now like give up the information and Janeway is like so fucking rip shit at Chicote at this point that she just like walks between him and Lessing out of the scene and goes back and is like going to do her other shit and not do this now when you walk between two people that is such a Physical fuck you. Yeah, it gave uh, the same kind of energy as Sam Jackson drinking that guy's soda in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Like the yeah. most insulting thing she could do in this moment. And hit the spot. It's like when you go to a after festival party filled with your peers mm-hmm. and like another podcaster stands in front of you and closes you out of, out of a circle. Right. Like you're just not even there. And yeah. Yeah. And you're like, you're on our same network. What are you doing? It's pretty fucked up. (laughs) So later, there's a McLaughlin group. Issue one. And there's something different about this one. Everyone's standing. Yeah. That gave it a real different energy, I thought. So stand up McLaughlin, and Chakotay's kind of running it. (laughs) Sounds great. Janeway is like off, like leaning against the window, like, all right, fine. Have your little McLaughlin group. That really gave it that energy, but because you don't see the beginning, you don't get the idea that maybe Chakotay called it. Yeah. So the plan is we're going to go find the Ankari, and there's some closer by than we realize. Speaking of things we don't realize, the evil MH is in the room for this, just listening in and getting all the tea. (laughs) Does he pass for the good doctor here? I guess so. Like, they didn't put, like, dark circles under his eyes or or 
you know, beady. There's something kind of magical about Robert Picardo here. Like, he doesn't say a whole lot. He asks a, a relevant question to the meeting. Did our prisoner disclose any other information? I'm afraid not. But, like, there's something just off about him that you can't quite place. And that makes his performance a lot of fun. It really is. Because he's played so big before when he plays alter ego doctor. Like, it's so much more menacing when you just can't be sure. He's fucking scary in this episode. Yeah, yeah. Both versions of him are fucking scary in this episode. Yeah. Because the other one's, like, singing and shit. Ugh. As the meeting breaks up, Janeway like really commits to dying on the evil hill that she is on. She relieves Chakotay of his command. He goes straight to his quarters and starts dismantling the bathtub that he's been building. What's happened to you, Catherine? I was about to ask you the same question. She's fucking pissed. I was really disappointed by this scene and primarily in Chakotay because this is the moment when you're relieved of duty, when you go, no, you're relieved of duty. (laughs) Because if you can't if, break up with me, I break up with you. If he really felt like his captain was a danger, you have to do that. Right. Because like once you're under guard in your quarters. Without a mutiny that you're positive is going to happen. And I'm not sure if Chakotay can be that positive yeah. that, that it would. No, I don't think uh, he has a He's hope just going to be stuck there the rest of the episode, which he is. They find the Ankari. Janeway sort of forces her way through this interaction because she's like, I don't even want to do this. Like, I just want to go kill the Equinox. I love that she finds the Ankari ship and just straight up tractors them into a FaceTime. Yeah. Like, they can't resist Janeway's intentions here. Yeah. And it's amazing that they can't resist and she doesn't even really want to do it that much. Yeah. Release my ship. I can't do that. So they come aboard and they, like, get some skinny slimers into a room so that they can talk to them. And Janeway agrees to give the skinny slimers the Equinox as payment for like no longer attacking Voyager. I love Tuvok in the scene being like, actually, (laughs) can we do that? (laughs) Where's Chakotay right now? (laughs) It bothered me that Tuvok was like not curious about that and didn't even seem to really like be aware that Chakotay had been relieved because like Tuvok would be the XO now, right? This should be a three-part episode because of details like this. Like, there should be a scene where Tuvok learns of this and then decides to ride this out until he cannot any longer, and then he becomes the instrument of the mutiny. Yeah, there you go. And that's like, that really ratchets the shame up for Janeway, I feel like, if Tuvok was the one to, to end her reign of terror. I agree, yeah. So the aliens accept this deal. Seems pretty great for them because the aliens and Janeway feel very similarly about the value of revenge. Yeah. They fucking love it. All they really want to do, Janeway and the aliens both, is fill their roommate's meat. <laughs> is fill their roommate's bed with meat. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, I don't know what your situation was in college. I never filled my roommate with meat. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying like spell out the word Judas with a bunch of like deli cuts and stuff. Sure, I get it. What does it mean? It means Omerta. It means Rewenge. So back on the Equinox, 
Burke tells Ransom that they need more alien fuel for their genocide drive. Otherwise, they won't make it home. Yeah. So he's like, well, I guess we'll have to kick this genocide into a little bit higher of a gear. Yeah. It's like, uh, hey, I don't think that these bad guys are coming off evil enough in the script. Let's ratchet it up a little. (laughs) This is a necessary callback because we learned before that they're going to need 60 skinny Slimers to close the distance. So last I saw, they only got one during the test of their little capture and kill thing. Yeah. So at this point... Uh, we check back in with Seven, and Jerry Ryan has basically spent this entire episode just in a dark room on a bed, like, or on a beach in San Diego. Right. <laughs> I think those are pretty good days. Yeah, yeah, the real extremes for her uh-huh. at the beginning of season six. But it seems like Ransom is starting to get a little squeamish about what they're doing to her. I mean, how did you interpret this scene? Because. It was especially nauseating to think that Seven did not have the facility to resist and was being puppet mastered by the doctor here into doing this. Right. Like initially I was like, oh, she's still trying to do a mind game, try to like break down his ethical wall. Like, remember how we used to sing? Yeah. Or like see if she could reason with him in a way that didn't rely on ethics or something. But I think the revelation here is that the doctor's getting up in those brains, just making her do this for his own amusement or pleasure. And that's pretty gross. It is extremely dark as a scene. I mean, in all ways, this scene is dark and Ransom sees the singing and gets another opportunity to stop what's going on and resigns again. Yeah, he runs and hides, just like Jane Lay said he would. Yeah. He goes and hides in his neural stimulator. But he can't hide from Seven in there. She's in there, too. Yeah. When the figure in his hollow turns around and reveals herself to be a dolphinless Seven, I would be thrilled to see her. Mm-hmm. He is not. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it before when... When she takes off the dolphin and lets her hair down, it's like, oh my God, she's actually beautiful. I know. You never see this. Yeah. She's hard to recognize here. She comes down the stairs at this beach. Yeah. And his jaw just hits the floor. Yeah. She tells him to end this and to stop hiding, and then she transforms into a giant whole alien. (laughs) It won't hurt you. Those teeth, man. There's some big chompers on those whole aliens. Kind of hard to pick those up when they're tiny guys coming through holes, right? Yeah. This big one. Real horse teeth. Yeah. I guess Slimer had big teeth too. Yeah, but they were big, like uh, hippopotamus teeth. They were like, right. like big, dull teeth. Big, chunky, dull teeth. And these yeah. are like big, long, spiky teeth. Yeah. So even the teeth lost weight when Slimer lost weight. <laughs> I know. This hollow is interrupted by Burke. Yeah. And Burke tells him that Janeway has found them. The specificity of that statement says a lot. It's not Voyager. This is a Ransom versus Janeway scenario. And Burke is a good first officer who knows what his captain is going to want next. So he offers a nebula as a hiding place. Ransom is like, no, this time we're not hiding. He would like to cooperate with Janeway. He he has been persuaded by the Seven in the Hollow to uh, put down his sword and shield and uh, make good with Starfleet. Captain 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 Captain
quash mutinies at the drop of a hat. Like without any further information, Burke is like, not so fast, Captain. You're relieved of your command. And like everybody else on the bridge is like, yeah, I think he is relieved of his command. I think you're right about that. You're so right about the hair mutiny trigger (laughs) that Burke has. Like, holy moly. And this is kind of the Crimson Tide scene that I thought we wouldn't get. This is also the matchup that I didn't predict either. It's a Crimson Tide scene on a ship we didn't expect and from two people we didn't expect. Right. And at a pace that we didn't expect. Like, this goes by so quickly. Like, Ransom is so quickly out of the game. And uh, Ensign Gilmore is the one that uh, is going to, like, take him down to his quarters. Mm Mm-hmm. And they get in a, another space battle. And this is another, like, dirty-ass fight. Like, these two ships are fucking throwing everything they have at each other. I love these scenes. Like, I know the meaning of them is bad. And this is as dark as it gets for a Federation ship. Yeah. But, like, I like seeing a space battle. It's a we good don't space always battle. get them. Like the nacelle getting blown up and then the... That the, looked so good. It looked great. And then the Equinox is like trailing plasma the rest of the fight. Yeah. Ransom and Ensign Gilmore are team anti-mutiny and they are down in engineering throwing Sabo into the Equinox left and right while the evil MH over on Voyager is sort of doing the same. If you're Burke, how dumb do you have to be on a crew of conspirators to not think that another conspiracy could pop off <laughs> during this perp walk, you know? I mean, his hands are pretty full with this space battle. But yeah, that's fair. I guess he was overconfident in Gilmore's commitment to the cause. He sure was. So Ransom manages to get word to Voyager that, uh, hey, like I'm, uh, I'm just replicating Sabo as fast as I can over here. So uh, we can beam the whole crew over there and you can just lock them right up like... Whatever you gotta do, I'm. I've turned over a new page, and I'm. I'm uh, not into Slimer genocide anymore. What's too bad is like that. Ransom has changed sides is sort of irrelevant because when the evil doctor has sent you know shield frequencies to the Equinox, all of a sudden they have the upper hand strategically. Yeah, and it doesn't matter that the captain is now on Voyager's side; he's sort of powerless in this moment. I wondered also like if it had worked, if what Ransom was proposing had worked and they just beamed everybody from the Equinox over to the Voyager, what would the skinny Slimers do at that point? That kind of violates the terms of their agreement. It does. Yeah. I think they'd be pissed. (laughs) Full diplomatic incident. I, I bet the Voyager would get fucked up too. Yeah. Yeah. Over on Equinox, they detect these transporters going online and a bunch of them are beamed over to Voyager. Yeah. Burke is not, and Ransom says, like, I'm going to go handle him myself. So off he goes, and Seven materializes on Voyager, like, passed out on the transport pad. It's a little unclear what was going to go on with Doc Hollow. Like, like I didn't he- recognize who this was because the dolphin wasn't on. Yeah. I was like, what is this? Like, some kind of San Diego beach babe? Yeah. Doesn't make sense. No. We do have two evil doctors in the Six Bay at a certain point. But like one of the evil doctors is loyal to Voyager and turns off the other evil doctor. Yeah, that is such a great point. Like both of them are working without ethical subroutines. <laughs> so 
that seems to be a problem that is as easy to solve as it is to create. Though. Yeah. Like, yeah. can you reprogram him or something? It's kind of mentioned in a in passing that they turned his subroutine back on later. Yeah. But in order to expedite the end of this story and the rapidity with which we're getting these scenes, like you can only just cut over to doctor versus doctor yeah. where the good doc wins before we're back with Burke. And I so wanted a Burke versus ransom situation. You don't get it. Like Burke and his two henches die like punks. Yeah. I didn't by, like that by they, the skinny slimers. Yeah, they they get desiccated instead of arrested or shot. It doesn't feel like justice to me. Oh, poor buddy. Yeah. It felt like justice to the skinny slimers, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's true. Ransom is like doing that like there's no time, get away from the equinox, it's going to get destroyed. And Janeway wants to save him, but he's like he's like no, I've I've made my peace with this. Get your crew out of here. You've got all the like members of my crew that are still alive. So uh, it's time for Voyager to go. And uh, he does what I think a lot of people would do, you know, on a plane that they knew was going to crash. He whips out his hallucination device and gets to it. I think a lot of us hope that during our last moments, we're wearing a cable knit sweater and staring out at the ocean, (laughs) you know? Yeah. What a nice, comfortable way to go. Good stuff. Is the suggestion that maybe Ransom is a little like Tom Mervin's in that way, in his preference for loose, warm clothing? Oh yeah, there's a like a beautiful Irish setter running around on yeah. the beach next to him. What could have been? Mervin's <laughs> for the clothes you love to live in. So we're in the denouement now. The equinox is no more. The EMH is going to get some basic computer security. That seems like a good thing to add to his program. I mean, I will argue that his is the only character with a growth opportunity this episode. (laughs) No one else really learns much from this. Yeah. We get some harsh words for the new crew members who have been stripped of rank. Janeway really lights them up and is very disappointed in the way that they've behaved despite being... Members of Starfleet. They're marched over to Neelix's mess hall. Yeah. Poor bastards. Fucking Leola Root is the punishment. Yeah. They're just peeling Leola Roots all day. (laughs) (laughs) And now some awkward energy between Chakotay and Janeway in the conference room. And they like could have this conversation in private, but they don't. They like go out into the bridge which is still super fucked up and there's like girders and dirt everywhere, but it's like all lit up in a way that it wasn't during the battles. Yeah, it's open for business. Yeah, like uh, it's like when you go into like a nightclub during the day and the cleaning staff is there and like all of the house lights are up. Yeah, It's like it's not supposed to be this brightly lit in here. Yeah, no one can fall in love with a bridge lit like this. Like, you know, when you're watching Bar Rescue and they're like, we've had this restaurant under surveillance, but they don't realize that we're watching what's going on. And then you cut to the inside. It's like, there's no way they don't realize. (laughs) Like, it's fucking bright as hell in there. They're not playing music. Yeah. Like, who is going to this bar under these circumstances but people that are aware that Bar Rescue might run in at any time? Precisely. I love how this scene begins. I hate how this scene ends. Because... I love how stilted this conversation is and awkward between Chicote and Janeway. They 
they're kind of feeling each other out for where they're going to go from here. And they're distracted before they decide on what the destination is for them. Right. The best part of this scene is that Janeway does seem to admit that she was really on one and wasn't her best self as a captain during this episode. But the like poetic coda of finding the commemoration plaque and putting it up in a scene that mimics one on the equinox in part one felt like such a distraction from the fact that Janeway had made like massive errors in judgment and had indulged like the worst parts of her character during this whole episode is just like, what? (laughs) Wait, there's some, we have bigger fish to fry than the fucking commemoration plaque. It's an anti-resolution to their conflict. And I think it represents, you know, because Janeway is never able to achieve. I mean, she does achieve some sliver of self-realization, but it doesn't feel big enough to represent a growth opportunity for her in any way. And I think as it is, it makes this a terrible Janeway episode. It is such a bad look for her. Bad look for her, but is it a good episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I think in saying that it's a terrible episode for Janeway, I also want to talk about, like, what's what's so interesting about Ransom is, like, what happens when you have a really bad two weeks as a starship captain? <laughs> and I'm going to keep fucking ringing that bell because two weeks was the amount of time that they were in the ship. And to think that no captain is impervious to that sort of stress up to and including a Catherine Janeway, I think is really interesting to me. I just articulated that point better than the episode did. And I don't think that's right. Like, I wish there was more definition around that concept. And I wish Janeway at the end was like, you know, I became what I hated the most here. And I think we're all subject to the sorts of pressures that Ransom was under, myself included. And that sucks. And I'm sorry I put you through that. Like, an apology would be nice, (laughs) I think. And I think it's warranted here. Yeah. And I think... Because it ends this way, it's representative of a brand of Star Trek that I often am unsatisfied with. The Star Trek episode that has interesting ideas, but without the full commitment to how good or bad those ideas could be. Like, this is not rock bottom for Janeway, and it fucking should be. She kind of got away with one here. I agree. Like, it's a very fun episode to watch. Like, the space battles are really fun and good, and... The way they are constructed dynamically with the like hacking and the sending codes and the like sleeper agents on board either ship. There's so much to like. You're right. It's a shame that the characters suffer so much for that excitement. And yeah, you got to stick this landing. You got to bring it on home at the very end. And I just don't think dedication plaque is how you do it. No, I agree. Uh, So bit of a rocky start to season six. Yeah. But you want to see if anything rocks in our Priority One inbox? I really do. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. 
Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from your frog prince. And it is to Ben and Adam. That message goes like this. Just throwing some scarves to my two favorite podmen. Kapla! I gotta give it a better kapla. Kapla! <laughs> and then your frog prince would like a roll air and drop here. Hey, thanks, your frog prince. Nothing sounds as cheesy as like, kapla! <laughs> Let, like, like my high-pitched, whiny-ass voice doing a Klingon word. That sucks. Yeah. You got to throw a little Martok behind it. Kapla! 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 Or some, like, some Vogue, you know, some Kapla! Kapla! <laughs> You're right. Adam, uh, we, we've met uh, your frog prince on a VIP meet and greet, I think. Sure have. Yeah. yeah. For frog prince rules. Big fun. Uh, our next priority one message here, Crocodile Pickles Dundee is the one who sent it. Zando Calrissian is the one who is receiving it. Goes like this. Well, my friend, it's that time of year to wish you happy birthday. Well, I spout the joys of Australian socialism. Ben and Adam, come to a live show here. The beaches are beautiful, the healthcare is cheap, and the wages are second to none. Literally. Enough of that. Please have Herogen Bane wish Zando a happy 41st. You merely adopted being 41. Adam was born 41. <laughs> God, I'd love to do a show down under. We are trying to make that happen. I, I don't know if this is the year that it will happen, but it's yeah. like we keep uh, yelling at our friend and agent to look into it. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll pass this message along. It seems hard to do. I mean, our threshold has always been... If we break even on a fun place to do a show like this, yeah. we would do it. It just can't be an economic atrocity right. for us. Right. Like, we want it to be Australian socialism grade uh, oh, yeah. thing, you know? Yeah. Like, we don't want it to be Australian housing market grade thing where it's like, no. fuck, we can't afford this at all. Right. Yeah. Definitely something we're thinking about. Yeah. And thanks for the reminder. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to screenshot this and send it to uh, to our friend and agent, and uh, that will force him to find a promoter in the Anzac that can get us mm -hmm. a, a tour <laughs> down under. Perfect. Uh, hey, those are fun Priority One messages, and we've got space for more on upcoming episodes, so head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron to book one today. Maybe think about August as a time period to target, because I'm looking... At a wide open August here. Hey, how about that? Let's make it priority one August. <laughs> yeah. If Jordan Jesse Go, our mortal enemies, can have anal August, we can have priority one August. Priority ones are our anal. <laughs> hey Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! I think I'm gonna give it to Bosch for doing bits that don't work. I think Bosch should know better by now. I'm shocked by this. I could never choose a mutineer. <laughs> what was Shimoda doing if not mutiny? He was joining Captain Wesley. We're to be faithful to you, Captain. God, you're you're right. You're really right. And that way that sort of makes your Shimoda perfect. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be Maxwell Burke. 
double Shimoda. You talked me into it. Woo! I mean, all Burks are bastards. That's mm. been my position. Hey, Bab. For for all science fiction <laughs> movies and TV shows. Yeah, yeah. And all bastards are bastards. They're going to do a three-night run of Aliens at the New Bev coming no up. No kidding. Yeah. I'll be out of town. I wish I could see it. That sucks. Yeah. Well, I'll go and I'll let you know how it is. Fun movie in a theater. Yeah. Beautiful to see that projected on film. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, let's say we open up the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. I will tell you a little bit about our next episode, which is season six, episode two, Survival Instinct. Visitors from the past present. <laughs> Visitors from the past present seven with an opportunity to right a wrong. See, originally I was going to read that Visitors from the Past Present 7. <laughs> That's great copywriting over there. <laughs> yeah. All right, Adam. Uh, why don't you uh, take the die in your hands and uh, get it ready to roll that bone? Ben, our runabout is currently on square 27. We're on the doorstep of tub time. Yeah. A time I do not want. I'm clean enough. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. I don't think it's possible to be too clean, Adam. All right, here we go. <laughs> oh, thank God, I rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. We're on square 29, <laughs> where the tub is safely behind us. Oh, man. What if we had rolled a naked now for today's episode, Adam? We would have had to do like a Cialis commercial situation where we had side-by-side tubs and open packages on camera while nude, probably violating the terms of service of YouTube. Sure. Yeah. And probably the terms of service of Maximum Fun. I don't know. I haven't read our contract. It could go either way. It could have been our finest moment, our most popular thing that we've ever done. Yeah. It could have made us... Wealthy beyond the dreams of avarice. Hey, if you're interested in watching video of this app, uh, that's on OnlyFans. Or it could have been our lowest possible moment, and it could have been the reason I left the show. It could have been all of those things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really could have. I'm just glad we'll never know. Mm. Because now that the tub episode is behind us, it's gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well... <laughs> I'm looking forward to a regular old episode next week. Adam, we got a couple of people we need to thank. Actually, I have thousands of people we need to thank. Right, the thousands that have gone to MaximumFun.org slash join who make the show possible. They pay for the show so that it's free for everyone. Yeah, so if you're listening for free, you should thank them too. You know what the best way is to thank the people who have paid for the production of the show? Leave a five-star review wherever you listen to a podcast. Oh, I thought, I thought for sure you were going to say give them dome. <laughs> you know what the people who are enjoying the show for free can do to thank the people who've paid for it? Pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, a review is a great way to let other people know about the show. It, it raises us up. Yeah. In the ranks, whatever the algorithm does. The yeah. algorithm really, really weights reviews highly, so... Get in there. That's a free way to uh, support the show. Yeah, it's not going to take you even five minutes to do it. Yeah, I think you can write a five-star review in less than five minutes. I think this can be done. I would like to see you try to take longer than five minutes. I fucking dare you. <laughs> I dare you to do better. 
I double dog dare you. So now you, there's nothing you can do. You have to write the review. Derek Materia made the music you're hearing right now. Adam Ragusia makes all the other music. He makes a podcast for himself. He makes videos on his wildly famous cooking channel on YouTube. Yeah. He texts us from time to time. He does. Uh, we got to thank Wendy Pretty, our intrepid producer. The one who represents the greatest chance of mutiny at Oaksbridge Shimoda, I would say. Right. She really holds all the phasers. The thought had occurred to me. Go check the uh, Code 47 for this out on YouTube. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy our YouTube channel. Lots of fun stuff going on over there. Yeah, if you're at work and maybe you don't want to be seen listening to a podcast or whatever, uh, we're streaming our shows on YouTube. Full episodes. Yeah. Go, uh, go listen to them there. Yeah, just open up a tab. Hey, lastly, thank you to everybody that sent in a Code 47 package. And thanks to the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who uh, receives those uh, requests, gives out the address to folks who ask, and uh, makes sure that nothing untoward happens with those packages. Uh, we really appreciate the card daddy. Follow at Greatest Trek on all social media to get at him and to uh, stay abreast of all of the developments with this show and our other show, Greatest Trek, which you should also check out. It is a wildly popular show. Yeah. Very fun. Having a lot of fun during uh, spring break 2023 over yeah. on Greatest Trek. Yeah, you want to go to a weird Star Trek festival? That's what we're doing over there on Greatest Trek. That's true. Uh, well, Adam, this has been a little slice of heaven. With that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager that uh, can't decide whether the present is a present or it's presenting the past with a problem I love wordplay I wish I was better at it <laughs> you did great Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.